from the offices of Melman, Castanetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th NG. I'm your host, C.R. Wooters. On this episode... We hear from our pals David Castagnetti, Bruce Melman. They'll give us a rundown of what to look forward to coming from the Hill and the White House in the next few weeks. I particularly like having the ability to interview my bosses. All right, folks, here we go. David Castagnetti, Bruce Melman. Bruce and David, welcome back to 14th and G. Thanks for having us back. Thanks, yeah. So... You know, we're going to talk to you guys every few weeks or once every couple months, and we usually do this around the time that Bruce and team release a, a quarterly report to clients and friends. Before we get into, you know, this quarter's report, you know, Bruce, I wanted to ask you, how'd this come about? How'd you start doing this? And it seems to have evolved a bit. You know, for years, David and I would get asked to speak to client events. We didn't know if at first it was because we had good insights or it was the make fun of the nerds kind of uh, entertainment for their various retreats. But what we found is when we'd speak, we'd bring slides and we'd usually have fairly visual slides. And every client we ever would speak to would say, can we have a copy of your slides? And so we started sending copies of the slides, not just to those who asked us to speak, but to others as well. Uh, and a, a bit of a following grew, and it became a, a great exercise in forcing us to think about what's going on, to think about how to communicate it, and what data really is compelling. And then uh, we just started sharing. Okay, I want to start um, with some rapid-fire questions here, which may not be that rapid, but we'll, <laughs> we'll figure when it Bruce out. Bruce has to answer. It's never rapid. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so here we go. I'll start with you, David. Uh, healthcare. Can we finally move on from repeal and replace? Uh, we will never move on from repeal and replace, I'm afraid to say. It is, the, unfortunately, the, the Republicans' number one issue. They will continue to find ways to uh, make it an issue, unfortunately. Any day now. Uh, <laughs> it's coming, man. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. You won't believe how great this health is. <laughs> so you think when It'll the... never happen, but it'll continue to come up. All right. Another uh, very complicated question asked quickly here. NAFTA, David, uh, we're in the process of renegotiating NAFTA. Um, where are we and what should we look for in coming weeks? I mean, we still have a long way to go um, in working out whether there can be a deal or not uh, be a deal moving forward. Um, it's going to be a real interesting uh, couple of months to see what happens. And uh, sticking with trade on the same topic, Bruce, the president a while back tweeted that he was going to pull out of the Korea um, U.S. trade agreement. Um, anything to update on that? Uh, I haven't checked Twitter, so uh, I don't have an immediate update. You know, it, but on the both, podcasts are not in real time, so we should be okay. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, on both NAFTA and Korea, one of the rules of 2017 we have learned is uh, look at all of the possible options, decide which would be the most disruptive, and assume that's probably what's going to happen. Taking a look at NAFTA negotiations, in negotiations, you know, there's always both the quiet inside negotiations and the uh, outside negotiations. Based upon what one reads outside, I'm very concerned. It's a very important agreement for a whole lot of farmers and businessmen and employers, and it's a big deal, but at least right now it seems like folks aren't coming to an obvious agreement. 
Mexico has their elections next year, and so there's a not unreasonable chance that we turn the year, we can agree, the Mexicans get into a political situation where they don't want to agree because it's bad for their domestic politics, and the president has the right to announce that in six months, microphone dropped, we're out. Uh, I think that's a real risk for NAFTA, and it's even a greater risk for Korea, which uh, is in a very important agreement as well, but probably has a smaller impact on U.S. states and U.S. business. I, I agree on the, the, the Korea part, but I think the interesting, the, the real interesting piece of Korea is the foreign policy and national security implications that that agreement brings with it, right? That is a very important uh, piece of the puzzle for our China relationship, uh, as well as helping uh, really uh, keep the pressure on the North Koreans. You know, uh, as a host, I, uh, my opinions often keep my opinions to myself. On this one, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we walked away from both of these. Um, the president and Ambassador Lighthizer doesn't, don't seem to have any problem with that. They are disruptors and... Um, so that that's the CR's edition of uh, adding his opinions to uh, to trade agreements. Again, though, the only piece I, I, I would push back a little in the White House is where General Mattis and General Kelly fall down in pulling away out of Korea. That sets up a little bit of a different dynamic, I think. Yeah, uh, more tweets at Rocket Man. Yeah, and, and things like that probably don't help. Okay, uh, immigration. Um, immigration is a huge problem, but there seems to be a relatively narrow universe of dreamers. Um, or what folks are calling dreamers, people who are, are here under DACA. Allegedly, there was a deal cut between the president and the Democrats. Um, David, where are we with dreamers specifically, uh, not kind of the bigger immigration problem? Yeah, I, you know, certainly with dreamers uh, specifically, they're trying to figure out, is this a good deal for them or not? I mean, we saw at Mrs. Pelosi's press conference uh, a couple of weeks ago that some of the dreamers don't necessarily agree that this is a, a good deal. Um, so th- so there's some pressures that are being put on uh, Mrs. Pelosi and Mr. Schumer as they, as they move forward from the left. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes I think you have to take a, a little bite at the apple and take kind of what you can get. And we'll kind of see what the president, the president obviously came back with something a little bit different last, uh, last week in terms of his new overall immigration policy. How does that play out? Is there a, a, some type of compromise that can potentially be met? Or do the dreamers uh, get taken care of in our in our budget here at the end of the year? I'm sorry, in our appropriations uh, at the end of the year? Well, and it, it, what's interesting, if I can add on that, is it, it when they walked out, they seemed to have a deal in which border security that wasn't a wall in exchange for non-deportation of people who have only known America their whole lives and certainly deserve to be here in our opinions. Pelosi and Schumer got hit from the left. How, how dare you cut a deal that doesn't involve citizenship? Trump, the post-Alabama special election, gets hit from the right. What do you mean the wall's not going to be a billion feet tall? And so, at least now in the negotiation, both have gone to their respective corners. Personally, I'm still hopeful. I still think a deal ultimately gets cut here. It may be part of a larger deal where where, uh, they're negotiating on more than immigration. But I still believe we're going to have border security money that's not a wall in exchange for non-deportation of children who were brought here, or people who were brought here as children who only know America as the country. Yeah, I actually, uh, on this Dreamers uh, and DACA fight, one thing I find really interesting is that this is actually a place where business is kind of weighed in, yeah. in a way that um, I'm a little bit surprised of, on a, almost on a moral case, because the number of Dreamers is relatively low in the business community, and yet folks like IBM and others have been pretty vocal, 
saying we've got 31 dreamers and we're going to take care of them. Tribute to the business community stepping up in this situation. I yeah, I also it. wonder if you just get presented with things that are such clear. Um, these children have not did not make a decision to come here, and they're here, so we got to deal with them. And there's 300,000 of them. They're all on a list someplace. It feels like um, we got to move on from there. Uh, my opinion, again, this is the uh, podcast host adding his opinion. I think a deal gets done. I'm with Bruce on this. I'm not sure how, and it's probably around an end of your package, but a deal gets done. But an interesting piece on what you just said, CR, I think it's pretty important, too, uh, in the uh, 20 years we've been doing government relations, we're seeing more issues being brought to companies that may not be their wheelhouse, direct business impact, where they're being asked, what do you think? What's your opinion? Um, we're hitting a bit of the politicization of everything. We're in an era where there's mass participation. And when you throw in the nature of the politics we're in today, everything is politics. NFL, NBA's coming. What do you think that's going to be like when they do the national anthem? Yeah, I think that's right. The other thing I would point out is, you know, uh, you've seen on both ends of this, those crazy bathroom laws um, going in at states and businesses actually being the first people to step up and say, mm -hmm. North Carolina is the best example. The NCAA tournament moved out of there. A couple other things moved out of there. Um, Even better, they they beat it in Texas. Yeah. They messed with Texas and Disney won. <laughs> <laughs> now the big one, um, kind of the, the talk of the town these days is tax reform. What do we think the, the likelihood of tax reform happening and, um, you know, what gets done? I'll go to you, uh, David, first. Uh, tax reform or tax cuts? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I mean, certainly the, the big six, um, uh, which are the, the uh, Mnuchin, Cohn, Speaker, McConnell, Brady, and uh, Hatch released a plan of a, a framework that uh, which basically kind of cuts corporate taxes uh, to 20%, uh, deals with some uh, foreign earnings uh, issues uh, as well, uh, cuts a, 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 has a pass-through rate, uh, I believe, Bruce, that was around 20% as well, 25%, somewhere in that range. So it, it's starting to, to set the dynamic. It is not legislative language. It's important to know what it's not. It's part of a discussion document that uh, has been put into place. Uh, there's two processes that still need to take place. There's the House process, which I think Mr. Brady's very interested in moving pretty quick. And I think the Senate's uh, and Chairman Hatch is on a slightly different path uh, that maybe we're not going to move as quick and we'll kind of let the, let the debate play out here a little bit. I mean, they still will need to, they still need to pass a budget in order to get to the 50 vote threshold that I think the Republicans would like to operate in. Uh, but the Republicans have to pass that first. And then the question is, can they get to 50? And the ultimate question is, who are those 50? Are there any Democrats within that 50? Or is it all uh, Republicans that, that get there? And then they have to reconcile it with the House, because I suspect there'll be a couple of different bills coming out of the House and the Senate um, at, the, at the same time. Yeah, I might add to it. David did a real nice job describing one of the three legs in particular. To get tax reform, there's process, policy, and politics. On the process, absolutely, you got to get the budget passed. Then it goes through, in theory, regular order in the committees. You could marry up with the funding for the year. It could marry up with the debt ceiling. On policy, there's a lot of agreement on what to cut, which at the moment is everything. Um, people all say you need Except to Except for probably income, in high-wage income earners. 
that that's a debatable component that's even a fair within point. the Republican Party. Well, and, and we both think that's that's a tough putt right now. Yeah. Although, uh, if uh, if pass throughs get it, then everybody's an LLC in the future. But on policy, you've seen uh, general agreement on things to cut, but but the three trillion dollar pay fors have each run into a lot of gunfire. The border adjustment tax is dead. Salt is taking uh, incoming. And then last, there's the uh, politics. So it's, hang on, back up a second. For people who may not know what salt is, it's a state and local uh, write-off that you get for being in certain state and localities. Is that correct? It's the write-off you get for paying your state and local taxes, which in New York are a lot. Correct. And uh, in Alaska, historically, were nothing. Right. Uh, though uh, my, oil prices My but, point in bringing that it's, up it's is it's blue the, state versus red yeah, state it's, dynamic. It's blue state versus red state. Yeah. And that leads to the politics. Even if they get a budget and there's 51 or 50 plus this vice president is all that required in the Senate, uh, I'm not certain Leader McConnell has 51 reliable votes come January 1. You know, uh, Judge Moore taking over for Luther Strange in Alabama is hardly a reliable vote. His entire campaign was running against McConnell. You have people like Senator Corker who are retiring, who now feel entirely unburdened by party loyalty and will do what he thinks is right. You have people like Senator McCain, uh, who's uh, who's very much thinking about his legacy right now. I think just just to lay out to a, a couple of things that the Democrats are thinking about in terms of this debate, uh, CR as well, if I may, is one. It, High wage earners, right? They definitely don't want tax cuts for high wage earners. Uh, the second thing they want is a revenue neutral bill, which we've talked a little bit about the politics, the difficulty of just getting a bill, let alone a revenue neutral bill, because you have to pick uh, some places to actually raise some money. And then the third piece that they would argue on a little bit is just regular order. What's the process like so you can get some buy-in from rank and file members. I, part of the, but part two of the three of those certainly are going to be part of the discussion. I'm not sure revenue neutral is, but I think even within the Republican rank and file, there's some clamor for a, a, a reasonable process to go through. And there's a, a split within the Republican Party about how to deal with high, high wage earners. And I think yeah, the president would probably echo some of that, right? I mean, he talks about a middle-class tax cut all the time. He does talk about lowering the corporate rate. You can see some daylight there, potentially, um, um, between some Democrats and, and the president. Okay, so the last uh, deck you, you sent out um, talked a lot about the new Gilded Age. Um, now, I haven't taken U.S. history class in quite a while. So what, what do you mean by that, Bruce? CR, won't the nuns be mad at you who taught you U.S. history back a billion years ago? I went to Jesuit schools. They were Jesuits. Um, and yes, they will be mad, too. Um, but they taught you how to write and speak. Yeah. So it was very important to but, but, well, so, so, uh, To be determined at the end of this podcast. Yeah, you, you're right. Uh, it is history nerddom. And my wife pointed out, like, why would you make that the theme of your deck? Nobody cares. And she may be right. Uh, but when you go back and you look at U.S. history and you say, when was the last time we had this much disruption, economic change, uh, where you go from uh, in the Gilded Era, it was an agricultural economy to a manufacturing economy. And you're seeing today the manufacturing economy. We're making more than we ever made with fewer people. Machines replaced people back then and machines are replacing people right now. We're a services economy. Foreign trade's more important than ever, but it really does seem to have winners and losers, or at least the perception of winners and losers. People are still afraid about recent financial collapses. You also have a lot of social change. You have income inequality today at the highest level since the Gilded Age. You have immigration. Uh, as a, uh, immigrants as a share of the U.S. population 
14 plus percent today, the last time it was this high, the Gilded Age. And when you go back and you look at the politics, you consistently had red states and blue states. Back then, red was north and blue was south, post-Civil War. Now red is everywhere except the coasts, which are blue. Um, similarly, you had congressional gridlock, and you ultimately had the establishment in Congress fighting a reformer president in the case of Teddy Roosevelt. Let's assume all that's true. Let's assume, you know, um, your take on history and where we are now is is probably right on. Um, you know, technology taking over, robots, all that kind of stuff. But what the hell does that mean? Where, where do we, what should we look for? Or where do we think we're going as a result of that? So the last time, uh, the Gilded Era led to first great uh, populist pushback, and that was followed by the Progressive Era. Significant change. Four constitutional amendments in politics. They banned corporate contributions. Women got the right to vote. There was direct election of senators. Economic reforms like uh, greater allowance for unionization and, uh, and, and uh, food safety laws and worker safety laws and trust busting. Uh, and uh, you saw social reforms, including things like a prohibition, which God forbid we return to, uh, as well as uh, uh, immigration restrictions, which unfortunately it feels like we are heading towards. I think, you know, Bruce is right on talking about the changes. Some of the changes are we don't know, right? As you start to look at places like the Googles and the Facebooks and the Amazons, what does that potentially mean for them moving forward? What type of legislation will be coming forward in order to deal with the issues that they have? We see a little bit uh, with Facebook uh, in terms of the Russia investigation that's going on now. So you're starting to, to, to see that members are starting to pay attention. The, the tech industry as a whole is, is kind of a golden goose. Um, and the, a little bit of the shine is coming off the golden goose here, I think, uh, in terms of what legislators care about and policymakers care about and how do they deal with these big companies moving forward. Follow-up to that. I wonder, you know, because one of the great strengths of the United States is that we are kind of the home base for these great technology companies, both new and old. Um, how, do we, how do we move forward... Um, with trying to keep our lead in the world with technology while putting some maybe parameters around how they do business. I mean, there's probably a, 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 a question of how big is too big, uh, but how do we make sure we don't lose kind of the Americanness of that and that all the next 10 great companies don't go start in Germany or Russia or some other place? I mean, to me, it feels like part of it is is one of the greatness of our of our country is we're relatively transparent, both in corporate America and political America, and and kind of thinking about ways to allow the companies to be more transparent about what they're doing and what's going on, while not scaring people uh, away from the United States. I think the other piece we talked a little bit about also is the immigration component. Right, we do have to allow free flow of people. Uh, to our country, smart people especially, but we obviously have to create a little bit of a better tax system uh, as well to allow them to remain competitive, and that that's a policy part that, that the Hill's trying to deal with, and we'll see if they, they get there or not. The rest of the world is much more aggressive at regulating technology, taxing technology, and limiting technology, and that's one of the reasons we're leading so overwhelmingly in technology. At the same time, uh, that doesn't therefore mean no oversight is necessary, all is well, move along. I, I think you're going to see coming to the United States, which you've seen around the world, which is the privacy and data security, is the new climate change. So what do you mean by that? 
it's a uh, it's a huge issue with overwhelming both economic and individual significance. Uh, I think you're going to see people... Will people deny its existence? Uh, well, it depends. <laughs> uh, but people care a lot about it. And, you know, and it's it, we laugh. It's less denying its existence and more uh, what should be done. Sure. You know, and, and you know, uh, thanks to the data revolution, we're going to cure diseases. Mm-hmm. People may not uh, suffer and die from cancer the way they do. We may learn how to teach every kid in a unique way best fit to them as opposed to throwing kids in a classroom and the kids who get it learn and the kids who don't get it don't learn. Uh, We're certainly already seeing great energy efficiency and faster innovation. The data revolution is extraordinary. At the same time, privacy is long dead. Uh, Too many companies, Equifax, Breach, have your information. Uh, The risk of things that you want to be private becoming public are greater than most people appreciate and maybe most are willing to tolerate. And as we're seeing in these investigations, the ability to manipulate you as a voter, let alone as a consumer, are greater than you appreciate. Uh, That conversation's not over. Okay, so I usually wrap up these podcasts by asking you guys who you want to have coffee with. But since we've done this a couple times already, I'm changing killed. it up. I got <laughs> changing it up a little bit. You got to make Castagnetti go first. <laughs> so I'd like to ask both of you this question. What's happening in D.C. Uh, that no one's talking about or is being underreported? Well, this podcast for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's talking about this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's a little close to home. Uh, let's go. We'll start with you, David. <laughs> I guess, I mean, to me, I think I'm going to put my optimistic hat on uh, for a couple you minutes. You have an optimistic yeah, I, hat? I do, believe it or not. I think I think many members uh, of Congress feel the same pressures that we've been talking about, and we've become very partisan, and I think you're starting to see a lot more conversations amongst members about of, of different parties about what they can work with uh, in order to get things done. I think that's become uh, an interesting topic of conversation that people don't necessarily pay enough attention to uh, all the time. Uh, I feel that the, the the caps are way overrated this year. I think the caps are going <laughs> to not nearly do as well as they've done in the last couple of years. He loves, had that's, seven goals that's, in two <laughs> he, he loves throwing in the sports references, too. <laughs> and finally, I, I think the, the, the other piece that's to me, I feel it's unreported. Bruce touched on a little bit, but is the changing dynamic of the media and the social media uh, within D.C. and how that affects policymakers. Um, you know, we all uh, tend to, to, to watch TV news and read the New York Times and the Washington Post, but there's this whole movement that's happening through social media that, to me, I think is still relatively unreported in terms of the impact that that's having on Washington. I love the optimistic answer. I'd offer two quick ones, famous quick. Uh, First, underreported is the fact that the Democrats are amidst the Civil War too. The reason it's underreported is because the Republican Civil War is so loud, so epic, and so extraordinary that it's kind of hard to notice uh, that single payer is now Democratic Party policy and that uh, the odds of the Dems nominating a far left Uh, nominee in 2020 are pretty high, leading Doug Sosnick to say there's a better than even chance that Donald Trump uh, gets reelected if he's on the ballot in 2020. Um, The uh, the other underreported one I'd point out is Washington, D.C. is a foodie town. If you came here 20 years ago, there that was, you know, Old Abbott's Grill was the foodie town. (laughs) Uh, And now there's all kind of not only established expensive restaurants for guys like Castagnetti, uh, but also uh, you have all of these kind of newer, hip restaurants that I'm not allowed to go to. 
<laughs> you could put a plug in for my guy Dave Chang and Mumufuku if you want. Um, DC native Dave Chang. Um, I'll add one. Um, as I've been thinking about this, it has been reported, but I don't think it's broken through yet. The government is really thin at the top. Many, many folks outside of Washington don't know what an assistant secretary of anything is. But those are people really who actually do the work. So, for example, at the State Department, Mr. Tillerson has huge vacancies in very big spots. You know, same can be said for virtually every other um, agency. And I wonder how long that takes until something happens where they where it's evident that those people are not there. Um, the second piece I would just say it relates to that is when you're light at the top and you're coming around to a year in the White House, people start to leave. You know, it's a tough job working in the administration. So you move up the, f- this, the few folks you have, who are you getting in those second and third and fourth shots at those senior roles? I think those could be major uh, gaps if the White House is not careful. All right. <laughs> Bruce and Castro, thanks so much for coming on 14th thanks, and G. Yeah. Thanks for having us. I want to thank Bruce and David for coming into 14th and G. It's always good to hear from them. We'll look forward to hearing from them again in a couple weeks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, my email is wooters at mc-dc.com. And my Twitter is at crwooters. So thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell a friend. And if you do me a favor, give us a little ranking on iTunes, because I don't think we have any of those. Look forward to seeing you next time at the intersection of business and policy right here at 14th and G.